Signs of the Southland, Monday, August 29th, 2022. Football season is here. Gentlemen, it kicked off in, I think it actually technically kicked off at Western Kentucky. But for our intents and purposes, it kicked off in Ireland, just like it did in 2016 with Nebraska Northwestern in an epic Scott Frost day. Mr. Purdy, did you watch this game and uh, enjoy what was just the most bizarre addition of schadenfreude internationally I think I've ever seen in college football? I did watch some of this game. Um, not I missed the onside kick, which I'm really upset about because I just would have laughed so hard when that happened. Um, I, am disple- I, I am displeased that I wasn't there for the free beer. That happened in the second half when the internet. Oh, oh it wasn't just free beer. They were free everything. Giving away free everything? Pints, pints of gin and tonics. Oh my God. They ran out of beer and were because they gave away free beer because all the, the, the internet was down. And so all of their point of sale oh. systems were down. They started giving out free pints of That's, gin and tonics. Sorry, that, please continue. Only in Ireland. No, I, well, I mean, hey, at least football is back. I was glad to see something to fill in before, before, before I turned on a. Well, before I turned on the uh, the stat cast of Tech Volleyball <laughs> that day. The, uh, I, I was going to say, you know it's been a great onside kick when a history football YouTuber I follow has already made a video about it. So uh, I, I, I'm thinking that it might be a, a historic turn and historic turning point for uh, one Nebraska well team. The reason Scott Frost does not last this year at Nebraska and then takes, I, I don't know, uh, Texas Tech or Texas State or someone to an unreasonable record. Am I am I like in position here to now make my annual? I guess weekly, not annual. I don't know where I got annual from there. My uh, Chicago reference that I am obliged to make, being a member of this podcast, and say Chicago's Big Ten team really exceeding expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, also. For those uh, who are extremely sicko, uh, the Illinois beatdown of Wyoming, uh, a phrase that I don't think anyone's uh, said about Illinois football in quite some time. So, uh, you know, really, really great day for the state of Illinois, which is, uh, you know, the last however many years, maybe ever not been a, a, a traditional hub of college football. So that's been fun, at least. I I, I got some some at least hearty cackles in this Saturday, if if not true enjoyment. I want to I want to point something out real quick because I have the game on paper uh, box score pulled up for the Nebraska Northwestern game uh, that Nebraska kickoff or the onside kick. I think I found it here it was in the middle of the third quarter. Um, it generated 2.5 EPA and at the top for, for Northwestern because of how bad it was. And at the time, Northwestern had a 5 percent win probability. Five percent. Jesus. I don't I don't think we've introduced the fact that there's a guest yet this week because Robert's been patiently waiting in silence. And I've just been seeing him react with laughter and at one point (laughs) falling out of the frame so far about the ridiculousness that was Nebraska Northwestern. I do want to give him uh, a chance to chime in and say hello before we go 15 minutes and then just surprise everyone with surprise. We have a guest. But Thanks for having me. I did not get to see any of this game, but I got to see the post game fallout. And I would just like to say that our FTRS mock draft for new coaches should not have included Scott Frost. I'm out. <laughs> who, who drafted <laughs> Scott Frost? I'm going to have to look it up now. It was Joey. 
former <laughs> illustrious <laughs> site manager Joey Weaver. Oh, Go follow his no. That's oh, that's why they call no. his podcast Basketball Conference, I think. But uh, <laughs> ah, who's to say? Uh, in other news, before we dive in on volleyball, Chris Eubanks is live uh, today. By the time this comes out, uh, Tuesday. Uh, 1.30 p.m. on court 13 in New York at the U.S. Open. Uh, he did play through the qualifier draw, uh, and uh, he'll be playing uh, one P. Martinez and not being a professional tennis guy. I don't know who P. Martinez is, but I do know who Chris Eubanks is, so I will try and at least follow along on the live stats. Heaven knows that uh, at least Jack and I, I can say for sure, and probably Akshay, got enough of live stats uh, this weekend, though, so... Uh, I'm a little disappointed that uh, that we did not get two uh, two stream games, but we did get one, and that was that was Friday night against Ole Miss, uh, the hosts of the Ole Miss uh, eponymous Invitational. He's not even going to let me do my own segue. Unbelievable! Let's talk about the volleyball performance at the Ole Miss Invitational in Oxford, Mississippi. You're right that most of this was done via live stats. The entire second game was not streamed. Um, It was rough not being able to actually watch the action in front of our eyes, especially because the first game was uh, entirely televised and also had a particularly uh, uh, interesting officiating situation. wouldn't you say, Jake? Uh, I, I would agree. Uh, there was a couple plays that very much went to replay, and I thought the call was pretty obvious both ways. Um, both ways. I'm not going to say Tech got robbed every time or anything like that because it's way too early in the season to be uh, tinfoil hat about refing. But uh, there was just some pretty obvious misses, I guess, by the by the officials. Uh, again, both ways on on replays where it's like, isn't that the point of challenges to, to make sure that the call gets done right? And maybe, maybe my TV's not as good as theirs. I don't know. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but definitely, definitely interesting, but by no means the defining, uh, the defining part of this match, right? Uh, Especially if we're talking set one uh, and, and set one for those who did not watch was, as we say, rough, uh, seeing the number nine team in the country, uh, immediately dropped their first set of the season, 25-13, uh, which for those Ooh. of you uh, still newer to the sport, is not good. Uh, in bad. fact, it's quite bad. bad. We don't it's beat teams gr- that bad usually. No, we don't. And uh, theoretically, we're supposed to be pretty good. But uh, So set one w- was pretty rough. And then I'd say, honestly, the fact that it was 3-1 uh, the rest of the way, Tech did come out with the win uh, at Ole Miss uh, is kind of a miracle. All three of those second through fourth sets – did go to bonus volleyball. Uh, you do have to win by two in volleyball. So it's first to 25 win by two. Um, so yeah, uh, tech did play better, but it certainly was a, uh, a straight into the fire start to the season, I think is a diplomatic way to put that. Jake got his turn on the first game. Jack, I want to kick it over to you for the second game. Um, knowing that both you and Jake were obsessed over the live stats for this one. This was more like it for Georgia tech, but this was a much better opponent in number 17, Illinois. Yeah, no, it really was. I mean, Collier played 14 people in the first Mm -hmm. game, like just Mm -hmm. felt like I was watching the white and gold game all over again. I'm like, who's there? Who's on what, who's, who's playing for us? Um, Like I I think it's five or six people got their tech debuts or just collegiate debuts in the first point in the first place. Um, 
and then yeah, I mean, we swept. We we got we got three Illinois in straight sets. Like it was just it it played normally. We only played nine people. Elizabeth Patterson was I think would would be the one that was like okay, she got some playing time that probably wouldn't be expected, but only played the first set. Um, yeah. And we shared the load too. Aaron Moss got 10 kills. Bergman got 12 compared to the first game where Bergman got 33. Career Fifth most high. all time for a yeah. tech player. We'll yeah, add. 30 and beat her own, her own mark of 30 that she did last year against Notre Dame. That uh, was 54% of the total points we scored. Like it just, or no, not total points, total uh, kills that we had. Um, we did get outscored by Ole Miss too, by six points. I didn't think about that, but yeah, we, uh, that's we, a fair we, point. They beat it us was, in total points, 194. It was not a particularly – to double back to that Ole Miss game because I don't think there's much more to talk about on the Illinois one that was, yeah, not really. like I said, business as usual. But to double back to the Ole Miss it. game. <laughs> yeah, also that. Um, it was just very – like, it was not clean. Like, it was yeah. not a particularly clean particularly clean performance by any, any metric. They had a ton of errors. Their hit percentage didn't come – up to matching Ole Miss's until probably the middle of the second or the third set. And their side-out percentage never came up to where Ole Miss was. Ole Miss was at like 65% for most of the match, and they didn't really get in edgewise until late on. Robert, I know we brought you down to talk about football, but based on our general vibes around the, the program, the results, would you assume that like, Coming into this week, Tech went up, went down, or stayed the same in, in rankings and in the metrics? All Tech people are just pessimists. So I'm going to assume that they're a lot better than you guys are saying. Yes, they are. They went up. They went up from ninth in the country to fifth. This is their second highest program ranking yes. ever, ever. Really? And we're out here talking like Ole Miss, the sky is falling. Like Wait, to be fair, to be fair, for a minute there. For that entire first it, set. It did look bad. It, 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 looked, it was bad. <laughs> Critical also is that number seven, Ohio State, lost twice. Um, yep. And someone else in that top eight. Washington range. lost. Washington lost. Washington, Washington was, lost. They were, yeah, they had lost. And then, yeah, Pitt fell down, too. And, um, Pitt, yeah, Pitt fell out. And we're going to have um, Minnesota against Texas on Wednesday in the five in a, uh, well, I don't know what the new ranking is. It would have been a five versus two last weekend if that was the mm. ranking. But Texas is one now. Okay, it's so one versus it's, something. Texas Probably a top back, five, baby. So yeah, Welcome. there's a thank yeah. you, Joe Tessitore. Uh, but Julia Bergman named ACC Player of the Week for literally putting this team in her backpack and tearing them up freshman hill. I don't want that to get lost because we thirty kills in that for uh, thirty three kills great. in that first game is just absurd. Yeah. yeah. Also, it was, um, it was exactly what they needed. Tech uh, did open this year with two. Uh, 2021 NCAA tournament teams. So again, neither neither team were were scrubs. And I think that brings us to next week's games when they make their home opener, right? Indeed. Absolutely. Let's talk about that schedule coming up this weekend. That is September 1st versus Dayton. I think that is Thursday. This, uh, I, I thought it was the second. Oops. I had I not read wrong. a calendar. I have it as um, Friday. This yeah, is a I had great it as Friday too. Fantastic podcasting. Cool. It's Friday, September 1st versus Dayton. That is at O'Keefe Gym as an 8 p.m. tip uh, on ACC Network Extra if you are watching from home. Uh, the third, on the third, that is a 5 p.m. tip on ACC Network Extra versus Arizona State. Uh, consider watching that one. And on the fourth, uh, Tech will play FIU at 2 p.m. 
also on ACC Network Extra. So no live stats following for anyone unless you're a sicko and doing that in your seat at the game. I know Jake and I probably will be. Again, we're psychopaths. It's kind of our thing. Anything else to cover in the volleyball set for this week? Not, uh, not that I know. If you got nothing to do, go to the game and sell out the place. Yeah. I'll be out of town Friday, Saturday, but uh, maybe you'll catch us around on Sunday. And they absolutely deserve the support, by the way. This is literally a top five team in the nation. But here is the real reason that we are here today. We're here to talk about football season that starts on Labor Day on September 5th at Mercedes-Benz Stadium versus Clemson at, what, 7.30 p.m.? 7 p.m.? I don't know. This is something that I kick it eight Eastern. It's not MLS timing. So that's why I don't know what it is. Uh, Usually if they say, if it's seven, seven 30, it kicks off at eight. Good about that. But football actually kicks off on time. And so does our preview. We have Robert Binion here today, the owner and proprietor of the Bindex, the Binion index advanced metric. Robert, how are you? How has the offseason been treating you? I know we already introduced you before, but I just want to get your thoughts before we start talking about Georgia Tech's season. It's the longest and most painful offseason I've encountered, I think. Uh, it's a lot of angst. It's a lot of angst. And, and I don't even, there's not even a rainbow at the end of the, uh, you know, at the end of the storm. It, the program is in really bad shape and I hope that we're not losing listeners by starting with that, but it's been angsty. People are fighting each other. People are arguing uh, about season ticket sales and how bad they are. People are arguing about whether we need to redo Bobby Dodd with chairbacks and benches, because there's just not a lot on the field to bring a lot of hope right now. And it feels like a season that we've got to get through to find out what's next more than a season that we're going to enjoy a whole lot on its own merits. That's where I am. Yeah. I think this is one of those seasons where you sort of watch the clock, right? Yeah. You, you watch the countdown clock and, you know, it, 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 I think Chris Pascal, one of our other writers said it best, said it best uh, in one of his articles a couple of weeks ago, it's like the, they're, Tension will be relieved, yeah. right? Tension will be relieved one way or another. It's just we got to we gotta get there first, which means we got to talk about the team and at least how they're going to set up, uh, set up this year. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we know we lost Jameer Gibbs to the transfer portal. Um, there were a couple, other, uh, couple of other transfers out here as well, but I think he's sort of the linchpin one um, that, I mean, he – the guy went to Alabama. He's listed as the number two transfer in the top 100 for the athletic. What would you say, what effect does losing a player like that have on the way that you scheme offensively? I think the biggest loss with Gibbs is, is his ability to catch the ball. Uh, I, th- I think that the rushing production, we can replace 80 to 90 to 100% of it. I think that the the arrow routes that he would run the swing routes that he would run the wheel routes that he would run. I mean, those were probably the biggest source of tech's explosive touchdowns last year. And I don't see anybody to backfill that. 
I, I rewatched the Carolina game and the Virginia game over the last week because it's that time of the year and that's what you do. And when we couldn't do anything, uh, you know, he, he takes a six yard throw, 75 yards, and that's, that's gone and it's not easily replaceable. Uh, I, I, I like Dante Smith. He's a good back. I think Dylan McDuffie is going to very adequately replace Jordan Mason. I think Hassan Hall is a question mark, but nobody uh, has that take it to the house potential that Gibbs did. And when you combine that with the absolute lack of a game breaker on the outside, it's hard for me to see where the explosives come from on this offense. Right. So who are you, if we think about the offense is sort of where are you getting your points, right? Sort of the, the money ball style of where are you getting your runs? Where are you getting your hits? And how do you replace that sort of production of points or hits? Uh, this metaphor is getting very unwieldy. Who are you looking at to, to carry that load? Or what combination of players are going to contribute to this offense to at least get back to that level? I think you're going to see Jeff Sims run the ball a lot more in designed ways. Uh, some numbers I looked at this offseason, over two seasons, you know, 20 and 21, when he carries the ball, he's averaging 0.5 EPA per rush. So every time Jeff Sims runs the ball, Tech's expected offensive output goes up by a half point. Okay, that's, that's huh. sick. That's sick. That's a ton. We're going to have to do more of that. Right. He, he's got an explosive element that can at least begin to fill one part of the Gibbs absence. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not as much into the advanced stats as, as Robert Nakshay are. Aren't EPA uh, expected on runs usually negative? Is that correct? Right around zero or negative. Exactly. OK, so so us saying that Sims is a plus point five when he touches the ball and, and, and gets moving, that's pretty substantial for, uh, you know, uh, of a change from, from a normal run. Is that, yeah, is that a good way to the, read it? It's in the realm of, of Clinton Lynch, you know, from the 14 to 16 era. I mean, that's the only other oh. guy in the last 10 to 12 years of tech football that's been in that kind of territory. Um, it's, it's way higher than what Gibbs is on any rush. So <laughs> you've got to expand that part of the offense. Where does that rank nationally? Uh, it depends on the sample size cutoff that you use, but it'd be in the top 10%. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about, I mean, obviously Sims is a threat on the ground. And I think you mentioned the UNC game. That's something that we did see in, in his return, you know, a couple, couple pretty monster runs there. Um, is that something then, I, again, this is kind of reading the tea leaves a bit. Are we expecting uh, Sims not only to obviously be the starter, but, you know, week, week 11, week 12, we, we thinking that, uh, that we're going to be, you know, seeing Sims the whole way through, or is, you know, Pumachan or Zach Gibson or something like that going to get in, in the mix. I think Gibson's the only guy that's got a chance of, of getting, you know, starter level snaps. And that really is going to depend on the five guys in front. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to see a situation where they, they pull Sims unless it's an injury, which is probably related to the five guys up front, or if it's just uh, an explosion of turnovers, which he tends to have a proclivity for when he's facing a lot of pressure. I mean, his the, the delta and his numbers with pressure and without is, is enormous. And so if you get in a situation where you just can't block the other front, you may see Gibson get a, 
you know, the kind of calm down series and see what he can do. Yeah. See, that makes sense. Cause one thing I was, I was thinking, you know, just based on eye test, you know, for maybe more of Robert's clarification than even our listeners, I'm more of the band car rah rah vibes kind of guy when it comes to football and and so I do a lot of eye test I was a marching band kid in high school and a rec club guy in college um so that kind of does track with the at least the the more casual not even I don't I wouldn't call myself a numbers or a scheme guy just kind of like you know sims sometimes sometimes that ball is free in in a way you don't want it to be so I, I think that would probably be my casual concern other than just generally having a sense that our old offense haven't seen a chip long offense to be fair, but our old offense also felt pretty uh, vanilla and limited. And I, I think that that would kind of speak towards, you know, opening Sims up more on the design, the design run to take advantage of something like that. If we get an advantage there. And one of the things that was encouraging to me uh, was looking at some numbers that for after we first hired long and uh, the, the one stat that was consistent in all three of his offensive coordinator stops was that he raised the team's explosive play rate at, at all three stops. And so I think there's, there's something in his mind where he's able to kind of take the personnel that he has and scheme that towards explosives. And I think, you know, you're probably not going to see that with traditional downfield passing given the wide receiver limitations that tech has, but I do think you're going to have motion. You're going to have eye candy. You're going to have misdirection. You're going to have Sims in space. That's what he's going to try to do to raise the explosive rate this season is, is my hunch. So you mentioned motion there, and I know that there's been a lot of work done at the NFL level talking about the effect that motion has motion and play action have on passing EPA and passing effectiveness. Is that, do you see that similar effect at the, at the college level? Has there been a lot of work done on that? Are we, is that something that we can see long implement and then see success grow? Yeah, I, it's not near as robust as at the NFL level, but I know um, Sports Info Solutions at least has done some work on that and definitely shown that there's, you know, a statistically significant difference in pass plays that start with motion versus those that start with static formations. And uh, just from some of the, the clips that you're able to, to glean from what long likes to do a lot of the big plays are, are starting with, with motion. And I think you're going to see uh, probably, you know, more tech offensive plays than not uh, feature some motion to try to get, get the defense moving, try to show Sims. Uh, are they in man? Are they in zone? What kind of information can we get and, and go from there? And Talking about that information, that I think being able to analyze pre-snap sort of informs what you're doing as the game progresses, right? Not just in motion, but also how you were play calling, how you're distributing the ball. You mentioned before, when, before we started recording, that Long likes to make his offenses be 60% run, 40% pass. I think we saw... I think the stat that that really popped out to me when we were talking about Dave Padnode's offense was that he was always in that 60% range for early downs of rush rate. Do you see these things changing? Do you see maybe those rush situations maybe being a little less on early downs, maybe more on late downs? How does that distribution work out to you? I think that's one of the key questions for the season. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, the tendency with Padnode. I'll just put a little bit more uh, clarity on it. So if you're in a second and long situation, so you're second and eight or longer, uh, on average, uh, teams run the ball about 40% of the time in those situations. 
And the numbers tell us that the more you run in those situations, the worse you do on second down and the worst situation you end up in on third down. Right. And, and Pat mm-hmm. node ran the ball in about 50% of those situations. So he's, he's essentially giving up offensive efficiency with those play calling decisions, right. Uh, by, by running the ball into the teeth of a defense, that's already stopped you once you're losing uh, efficiency long uh, has a track record for running more in unexpected situations and in those second and long situations. Does that make sense? Right. So he, he, he prefers that 60, 40 ratio, but not necessarily in those unadvantageous situations. I think you were getting to where I wanted to ask something about, I wanted to ask, I was reading a big article about Matt LaFleur today and how like him and Shanahan and McVay all will sometimes do like the three or the two yard play to fool you for the next play to get you to that big long jump ones and seeing here, like, okay, clearly Chip Long is going to do some big play stuff. I, do you think part of the hidden efficiency you can't really measure here that we might go for is that we'll use those seemingly not efficient plays to set up the ultra efficient ones later on. So maybe on average your efficiency is fine, but like you're going to intentionally do a negative play to at least make it look like, okay, we don't know what we're doing or something to make the big plays work. Yeah, there's absolutely something to that. And that goes back to the conversation we're having about, you know, motion. And so if you've got a receiver coming across with a jet motion and you, you know, you fake the handoff to him and then you give it off tackle to your tailback, that that may get you three yards the first couple of times. And then the defense starts to expect that that's a fake every time. And then you, you know, you pop him for a 15 yarder. Uh, he, He definitely likes to use, you know, do the same motion, have the same kind of movement happening, but then do something different with it later on. So you're obviously not wanting the first option to be a, a negative play, right, but sometimes right. that's a trade-off you're willing to take for more explosion later on. And it does seem to me that Long has been willing to trade efficiency for explosion at most of his stops. So I think that's something you will see. What other tactical things are you looking for this season, other than maybe that motion piece? Uh Quick game in the passing offense. I, you've you've heard a lot of conversation this offseason uh, about Sims getting the ball out quickly, about kind of reducing the number of reads that he's making to help him out. And I think you're going to see, you know, these combinations of, of slant routes and flat routes. You're going to see uh, a, a corner with a little out coming underneath it. You're going to see a, a smash route where you've got uh, this – outside receiver breaking out inside receiver breaking in and you're doing things where he has to really read one defender and make a quick decision. Uh, And I think you're going to see more of an emphasis on that to uh, both, you know, mitigate what's probably going to be a weak offensive line again, what's probably going to be a relatively limited receiving core in terms of getting separation down the field. Uh, And so if those aren't your strengths, then getting the ball out quickly, uh, letting your quarterback just, you know, hit and go, uh, you know, potentially giving him a, a run option off of those things. I, I think you're going to see, uh, you know, plays that are happening in less than three seconds versus more in that five, six, seven range. Let's move on to talking about metrics since, I mean, it's Georgia Tech. We're all metrics people. Um, when you're talking about KPIs for the season, what specifically are you looking for? I've got four that I put out in uh, our advanced stats week this summer. And I'll hit those quickly, but you guys tell me what needs more color for it. Um, the, the first one is, is completion percentage over expectation. And so if I'm an average quarterback and I'm throwing the ball uh, you know, to, towards the right hash, eight yards down the field, 
I would expect to complete that pass, say, 62% of the time. And one of the things that we can do is we can evaluate whether a quarterback completes more or less, you know, passes than we would expect based on where they're throwing the ball. The last two seasons, Sims has been a couple percentage points below average in that. Uh, if, if he can get just two or so points above average, uh, that would be an enormous boon for this offense. Uh, it, it, it might not. It's basically strokes gains, but for passing in a it's sense. Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. Yep. Yep. And, and, and I think that you, you can't unlink that, you know, from, from other parts of the offense. And so then the next thing I'm going to look at is, is the amount of pressure that the offensive line is allowing. And so again, just to, you know, give you context there, the, the average in college football is that you give up pressure on about 27% of your pass plays tech was way above that in 2020, just slightly above that last year, about 28%. The line was actually, you know, better last year for sure. Mm -hmm. If we can get that again, just below average 26% or lower, you're going to see, you know, less of those disaster plays. You're going to see more opportunity for, for Sims to find a guy when he breaks open, instead of having to tuck in, you know, or instead of, you know, hide and run uh, just, you know, the small margins there are going to make a big difference. Um, so those are two of the huge things I'm going to be watching every game. Uh, the next two I'll give you one of them. We already talked about how often are we running the ball in those second and long situations? It's got to be 40% or less. You've got to give yourself a chance to make a first down on second down. The best way to be good at third downs is to avoid them. And you normally don't do that when you run the ball on second and nine, that normally gives you third and seven, which is really, really hard to convert. So we need to run the ball less than 40% of the time on second and long. And then the last thing that I'd like to see, and this may sound this may sound a little counterintuitive, but I want to see us throw the ball a little bit further down the field on average. And a lot of that is because we don't have Gibbs. We were able to be successful on some shorter throws last year because Gibbs was able to find space, to break tackles, to create something out of nothing. Uh, and so the, the average throw in college football goes about 9.2 yards past the line of scrimmage. Sims was at 8.3 last year. Uh, I want that number above nine. We've got to be putting him in position to make plays without the pass catcher having to do it. And that seems quasi inefficient too, because Sims has a gun for an arm. And it's like, if you've, you got to use what you have. And it feels like if you, I mean, obviously our wide receiver core isn't breaking the NCAA by any means, but the very least finding ways to get him space makes a lot of sense to at least utilize that. Um, also, he, of he's these been pretty though, good. He's been pretty yeah. good on throws that go 20 or more yards past yeah, the line of And I think we've just got to give him more of a chance to do that. Uh, this is Kiefer Milligan is our uh, old school film consultant on the site. And it's probably he and I's biggest disagreement. He thinks that Sims's biggest weakness is the deep ball. And I think it's intermediate middle for sure. And mm -hmm. if we can give him more chances to just, you know, throw where there's only one defender deep on the outside, I think you're going to see the efficiency go up. Right. How, how see, likely this is... How, how likely do you think these metrics are going to happen? <laughs> oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> um, I think these are more likely than the defensive ones I'm going to give you. Okay. <laughs> How's okay. that? That's good enough. That's good enough. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe, uh, maybe it says something about old school film guy that uh, vibes man agrees with him about the deep ball, but uh, you're here as the expert. So I, I defer and I choose not to start any fights on our podcast. The numbers don't lie, Jake. The numbers have never lied. Never. No one has no one has ever misled anyone with statistics. Not once. It only happens 42% of the time. 
There you go. There you go. Well, Robert teased the segment on defense. We'll be right to that after this quick break. As you guys probably know by now, but if you are a new listener, maybe you don't, uh, we do support Section 103 here on this podcast. Uh, They're great friends of ours. We're great friends of theirs. Uh, They make great quality uh, tech apparel. It's very soft. Uh, I am trying to come up with one in particular to focus on for today. I had stickers on the list, but that felt uh, a little bit disappointing given that this is the football preview uh, and I probably should pick something a little bit more football-y, but they do make nice stickers. So go check those out. Uh, In terms of football specific content, uh, there is the state of Georgia shirt uh, with a football over Atlanta. Uh, I think that one's pretty cool. And then there's also some national champions gear uh, that I think is pretty unique. The 1990s uh, retro style uh, gray shirt, hoodie, crew neck, uh, all available. And then the uh, jackets with the GT helmet uh, and the national champions, uh, those four years on there uh, are both very cool and very high on my personal list. Uh, In terms of where to find them, uh, unfortunately, they are doing 20% off today. Uh, as we record this, I assume it ends at midnight, uh, but uh, as always, uh, they are uh, available at section103.com, and they do do periodic stuff like this, so always keep an eye out uh, for little promos and, and things like that. Uh, it's great to work with them, and they do make very, very high-quality uh, Georgia Tech apparel, uh, so go ahead and check them out, section103.com, at section103 on Twitter as well. Anything else, guys, before we go back to... Uh, Talk about the defense. They have volleyball gear for your all your dates at O'Keefe. Yes, Point Tech. As far as slogans go, maybe the one that makes the most sense of any slogan I've ever heard. So, Point Tech. Speaking of points and not allowing them, let's talk about the Georgia yeah. Tech defense in this next segment. Uh, there have been a couple of departures on this side of the ball, too. Robert's favorite player, Jordan Dominic, has left the Georgia Tech program. He is now at Arkansas. So let's talk the same way we did about uh, Jameer Gibbs. Let's talk about how to replace his production on the defensive side of the ball. And, Robert, you pointed out Keon White as a key contributor for this year. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about why. So if you don't know the Keon White backstory, he – Went to Old Dominion. He was a tight end for a year. They moved him over to defensive end in 2019, and he absolutely wrecked worlds. Uh, we're talking he had more tackles for a loss in 2019 than, like, Tech's whole defense did last year combined. I mean, killing people. And this wasn't just a you know quality of opponent thing. They played both Virginia and Virginia Tech that year, and he had five tackles for loss across those two games. Uh, you watch his film, and he's – He's strong. He knows where to be. He can bull rush. He's got, you know, pass rush moves on the outside. Uh, you know, he, he looks the part more than anybody that techs out on the outside since Derek Morgan, like no question about it, but, but, but old dominion decided not to play football in 2020. So then he decides to transfer uh, down to Atlanta. Super excited about it. I think I wrote like three articles about him last off season. And then he breaks his leg playing basketball. I believe it was in June of last year. Comes back, plays very limited snaps in, in four or so games. Uh, clearly not himself. You know, hasn't been able to fully recover. Hasn't been able to fully get back into shape. So fast forward a year. From all accounts, 
he's in magnificent shape. He's ready to go, ready to make his NFL case. Word starts to trickle out. He's playing with a club on his hand. He has a, a fracture somewhere. Uh, it's unclear if he's going to have this removed the entire season. Some say it hasn't slowed him down at all. Some say that it's really you know hurting his ability to get around offensive tackles. Um, if anybody is going to produce any kind of havoc up front, he's the guy. Uh, bar none, nobody's close. You know, he's 6'4", 280. He's a monster. He can move. Um, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be his old self? Um, if he is, the defense really could be different than it has been the last two years. If he's not his old self, I'm really worried. Uh, as much as one defender can can really, you know, dictate the fortunes of the whole, uh, the whole side of the ball, he's closer to a quarterback type value for Tech's defense in particular than I think, you know, you would normally see out of one guy. I, I think it's interesting because we don't, I, I think soccer is where we sort of think about it as a weak link sport, right? Where one player that's not at the same level can really get keyed in on and get and disrupt your entire uh, tactical setup for a game. But it's kind of the same in football, where if you have one defender that you know is not themselves, you just keep running and running and running at him, and you know that you're you're probably going to find success. Uh, I think something, another piece of that, or I guess a thought that branches off of that, is that this happened a lot with Georgia Tech secondary last year. That either there was a player that was missing or there was a player that was not having a good day and uh, opposing quarterbacks would continue going over the top over and over. I think one of the big examples of this were the Duke and I think the NC State games where Duke and NC State were just slinging it every single time. Do you see – what improvement do you see there? What, what, I guess, signs of progress, if any, are there? So – uh, the, the two guys who were by far the biggest culprits, uh, I don't know if we need to name them. They had single digit numbers. They're not around anymore. Go watch the tape if you want to figure out exactly who I'm talking about. I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I think Jalen King is a significant upgrade at one of the safety spots. I'm really high on him. I'm not high on Derek Allen. Um, he graded worse than any of the guys who started last year. The one thing that I have more hope with is that I think he's getting beaten out. Um, player that you probably know is Miles Brooks. He's now going by Le Miles Brooks. It's what he went by his whole life until he got to college and he wants people to call him what, you know, people called him growing up. So we're going to call him Le Miles. Uh, it seems like he's in the process of beating out Derek Allen and that would be really hopeful for me. Um, because that could go a long way in eliminating that, that weak plate that you talked about. I think, you know, Miles Sims and Zamari Walton on the outside, uh, they're two guys that I like. They're not, they're probably not NFL corners, but they're not, um, they're not disasters. They're not uh, completely in the wrong spot. Most of the time there was one play against Virginia tech where I don't know what Walton was looking at, but we'll just kind of throw away last year. Uh, Sims and Walton are going to be better um, than the combination we started last year. King is better than Wanye and in, in pass coverage. Uh, and if Lamiles Brooks can not be like Tariq Carpenter, 
we could be a lot more solid on the back end. I think Caleb Edwards is an upgrade over Wesley Walker, most likely. So you've got a chance. You've got a chance. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of depth. If you get Keenan Johnson in there, I get pretty concerned. Uh, if, if King's out of the game, I get pretty concerned. But I think at least to start the game, you're not going to be uh, giving up those just what in the world just happened kind of plays like we were last year. And is part of that the impact of having a different, a retooled secondary and defensive staff? It's addition by subtraction, man. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, the, 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 you know, what synergy is when two things work together for the good. What's the opposite of that? Cause that's what you had last year between the coaches and the guys in that safety room. I mean, it was, it, it was a complete disaster uh, where, you know, there was this enabling happening of the older guys who felt entitled to play. They got worse as their careers went on. The coaches did nothing uh, to, to change what was happening on the field, to change who was on the field. And, and so I, I think that the removal of the people from the position room, as well as the people from the coaching room uh, is absolutely uh, for the good in this particular case, even if the guys that you're replacing them with are average, that is so, so much better. Cause in case you all didn't know, I'll remind you, there are 130 football teams in the football subdivision. Georgia Tech was 130th in EPA against the pass last year. That is the worst. We were the worst. So you can't get worse than that. You, you really can't. Well, this year you Incredible. can. Uh, Incredible. James Madison. James Madison is now an FBS, so it's 131. Technically this year, yes. you can get worse. Sam, Sam Houston State maybe too. Our, our old That's friend Jordan Yates down there. Ooh. <laughs> it could be possible, oh, but okay. let's, let's spin that a certain way. Right. I, I, I think there were different shades of this defense that you saw, depending on whether they were playing zone in the secondary man in the secondary, what have you done a lot of sort of splits on that? What did that synergy is maybe not the best word here, but what did that difference look like? Yeah, and I'll give credit to David Hale, who writes mostly about the ACC for ESPN. He's He's got more you know specific charting data at his fingertips, and he's put some of this together. Uh, in, in man coverage situations, which you know a lot of times is what you're going to be doing if you're bringing pressure, um, you know, you have less guys in coverage. Tech was like just below average. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't anything to get excited about, but it, it was, it was fine. Uh, in, in zone situations, Tech was like a standard deviation worse than anybody else that they measured, right? And so what that says is, you know, if you're, if you're playing zone in pass coverage is you have to be aware of the space that you're you know, required to cover. You have to trust that if a receiver passes from your space to somebody else's space, that somebody next to you, in front of you, behind you is going to be able to pick them up. And our defense was utterly incapable of doing that. Either you never pick the guy up yourself or you'd keep chasing them when they entered somebody else's zone. And so that's where you saw those just absolutely confounding plays where nobody would be within 10, 12, 18 yards of a receiver. Uh, and, and that's really what led to that, you know, 130 out of 130 number. Do you think other teams were keying on that, right? Like waiting or, or trying to scan the way that Georgia Tech was setting up to key in on when they were playing zone and then adjust accordingly? Yeah, no question about it. You, you see um, the, the trends that you see from the early part of the year to the latter part of the year. Uh, we were like first half of the year, we're giving up like, you know, 0.2 EPA per pass. Second half of the year, you're in the 0.7, 0.8 range. I mean, teams are gaining 
almost a point every time they're throwing the ball over the second half of our schedule. And I think what you see is that, uh, you know, that they, they were very aware of, of where those weak points were. And they were very aware that if you overload a zone with multiple receivers, absolutely one of them was going to break free. You could count on it. You don't even have to make that good of a throw and it's a big play. Let's talk about, let's talk a little bit more about that man coverage specifically about the pressure that they were bringing. We talked a little bit earlier about Jordan Dominic is no longer with the program. And we talked a little bit about Keon white and his responsibility to replace Jordan Dominic up front. Who else stands out to you as a, as someone that can help shoulder that load? Yeah. Charlie Thomas is the first guy that comes to mind for sure. You know, and he's, he's, at that second level on the defense, he's a linebacker that does a lot of, of blitzing, a lot of bringing pressure. Uh, the last two years, you know, combined, he's he's by far tech's leader in tackles for loss, havoc plays overall. Um, you know, he's a guy that you saw absolutely going off the first part of the year. He was he was the highest ranked linebacker in the country uh, according to PFF through, I guess it was through the UNC game, maybe even for another week after that, and then from you know, from what I've heard, uh, he had a nagging injury really this, the, the second half of the year, he kept playing, but he wasn't nearly as effective. Uh, he's apparently put on about 10 pounds, which for him is enormous. Uh, I think you're going to see him get used in some really, uh, you know, creative havoc creating kind of ways. Uh, and you don't have to worry so much about, you know, can the guys up front get a push on their own? Uh, you're going to create pressure with a guy like Charlie Thomas. And I think you're also going to see Trenelius Tatum, a uh, guy who's a f- true freshman last year. I think the coaches really like him. I think they're going to do what they can to get him on the field to, to be uh, a compliment to Thomas at that second level as well. I think this is uh, when you're talking about bringing pressure and then also having man, bring a lot of pressure and then also having man coverage. This is sort of what we were promised. Absolutely. Right in 2019, Absolutely. this is the jamming jamming receivers on at the line of scrimmage, playing really aggressive press man coverage, and then also bringing a lot of pressure up front. And maybe, I mean, the, the, the chance is small, but like maybe this is the year we sort of see some of this come together. And we've right? seen it in these small little, you know, whether it's the UNC game where you have ten tackles for loss in the first half. I mean, that was a bad offensive line, but that's still, I mean, that's more than you would get in a, against an FCS team. Uh, and, and then it's like, they just stop. Uh, so I, you know, I said, I rewatched the UNC and UVA games back to back and it's just night and day against UVA. We're trying to drop eight every single snap. So you never get pressure. And there's always three guys who are six yards away from the receiver. None of them doing anything impactful. The only way this defense succeeds is if you gamble, you take risks, you bring pressure. Um, there's enough on the back end to hold up in man coverage and, and you've got to create negative plays. And we just don't have the dudes who are going to do that one-on-one. You, you got to be creative with scheme. You got to be creative with angles and twists and all that kind of stuff. Like we did with the offense, let's put some metrics on that. How can they be more effective this year? What are we looking for in terms of KPIs? Sure. Let's start with the pass defense. I mean, that's what killed everything last year. We mentioned it was the worst in the country. Uh, just, you know, to put a fine number on it in terms of your pass defense, an average pass defense gives up 0.05 expected points per pass attempt. Right. So, you know, just over zero tech was at 0.45 last year. Uh, the next worst was like 0.35. I mean, it, you know, it was unbelievable. This gap um, the year before we were like at 0.08, you know, which is below average, but is not going to kill you. 
you've got to get back to that level. Like that's, you know, that's 80th, 90th in the country. If you can't get there, you know, you're starting, you're starting dead. Uh, you're drawing dead from, from the get go. So you've got to have a defense that can just avoid getting destroyed with the pass. So let's be in the 0.06, 0.08 range, uh, you know, per pass. Not to make the 0.45 sound any worse than it actually is, but like, like, where does, like, where does that compare? Like, I know we were one thirtieth and another thing here, but like, we are, were other teams like just not using the secondary efficiently that poorly as well? Like where, where, like, who are we talking about? That's like comparable in terms of like, Oh, that school that we shouldn't be even in league with. Oh, yeah. I mean, is- you know, we were next to New Mexico state, which is usually a bad sign. You're not where you want to be if you're next to New Mexico state. Um, yeah. You know, UConn and UMass were in the neighborhood. You know, this is what we're talking about. I mean, teams that, are considering not having FBS football programs in future years, right? That that's the company that we were in. Um, It's not, it's not good. It's not the neighborhood. Um, So uh, just a quiz for you guys. Uh, Let's go to the next thing that I love to look at, right? Which is havoc rate. Okay. So a havoc play on defense is a tackle for loss, forced fumble, an interception or a pass breakup. So an average defense creates a havoc play. 20, 21% of the time, right? So do you want to guess where Tech was last year in that number? I have it in front of me, so I'm not going to guess. But Jake or Jack, do you have uh, do you have any guesses here? Uh, I assume it's not going to be great, but again, I don't have a lot of context. Yeah, so let's just use round numbers, right? So let's say 20 is average, 15 is bad, 25 is really good. So we checked in at a solid 10% last year. 10% of plays were creating disruption. We're creating havoc. 10%. Oh, I remember tracking this. I remember tracking this for game on paper. And I think repeatedly I saw like 8%, 5%. There were a couple that were at zero. Uh, it was not fun. It was not fun at all to, to read those numbers off. And, and so when, you know, when you're playing a style of defense where you're depending on the guys up front to create those kind of plays and the guys, you know, on the back end to match and zone uh, and, and you're only doing that 10% of the time, the other nine is not going to go too, too well. So that numbers again, guys, we're just looking for average here. I don't feel like I'm asking too much. Am I asking too much? Give me average, average 20%, please. I think that would be a world of difference. So. And, and, you know, the, the final thing is, is just, you know, the percentage of pass plays where you're creating pressure uh, and, and it's a similar story, you know, average is, is about 27%, like we said on offense. And uh, last year we were about 22. Um, and, and again, folks, just give me average. And so you're going to get these numbers from us every week. Um, Akshay is going to be writing about the offense. I'm going to be writing about the defense. We will let you know, how are these going? Are we hitting our KPIs? If we hit some of these numbers, guys, and the six and six becomes a real thing. But if, you know, if we're not hitting these numbers, then you're in same old, same old territory. Yeah, I think I'd like us to hit the numbers just uh, based on that. <laughs> and, you know, the reason you got to hit the numbers is because the schedule ain't easy, right? The schedule is a bear. Oh, he so- did. The, he did the segue for me. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting segue jumped here. So. Like you said, let's talk about the schedule. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about the Bindex and how it puts out these. We're going to talk, you know, for each of these games, we're going to talk win probabilities. 
Uh, can you give us a little bit of insight into how those are calculated? A little bit of insight into maybe just how the index is calculated then flows into win probabilities as well. Sure. Yeah, for the, the preseason edition of the numbers we're putting out, um, we're using EPA numbers from the past three seasons. And, you know, they're, they're weighted differently. The, the most recent season has the most weight and, and on down into 20 and 19. And, uh, and then we have an adjustment to those raw numbers based on who you played, you know, a schedule type adjustment. And then we have one final adjustment that's based on your returning production, right? And, you know, what, what percentage of these important things are you bringing back or are you bringing in, you know, from the transfer portal or are they going out through the transfer portal? And so that enables us to come up with a, a number for each team. And that number tells you how would you stack up against an average FBS team on a neutral field? And so tech's number for that is about a negative eight. So you would be about an eight point underdog against an average team on a neutral field based on what's happened over the last couple of years and based on who's coming in, who's coming back. We have that number for each team to start the season. And then those numbers are going to update each week. Um, during the season, we're, you know, we're continuing to put a heavy weight on expected points and adjusting that for schedule. And then we're also using a couple of kind of more specific numbers on offense and defense that, that uh, I've found have some statistical significance for predicting, uh, you know, in-season performance. And so we'll be updating uh, as the year goes. If Tech plays well, negative eight's going to go up. If we play poorly, it's going to stay the same or go down, right? And, and so each week, these win probabilities, the the point spread that we would generate for each game, you're going to see those change a little bit just based on what's going on in the actual games as you would hope to. Um, but what we can do is we can take, you know, team A's rating and we can take Tech's rating, subtract them, get a difference. And then we give an extra two and a half points to whoever's at home because that's generally, you know, historically what, what home field is worth in college football. And then we use our bell curve normal distribution chart and we can generate a win probability from there. And those numbers are generally pretty small as we look across the next three months, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about some of these. Let's go uh, line item by line item here. Let's start with the Labor Day game versus Clemson. What you got for me? 4%. Single digits. Um, <sighs> you, you know, I, I think the the gold-colored glasses tech fan, and I've been there. I've been there so many years. I just can't go there this year. Uh, you know, sees coordinator changes, sees the quarterback weakness at Clemson and thinks that this is a winnable game. Um, the gentleman on Clemson's defensive line will have something else to say about that. I don't have my hopes up for next Monday, and I don't think that next Monday will tell us too, too much about how the season's actually going to go. My bold prediction is that this is how we'll do better. We will face less than four quarterbacks compared <laughs> to what we did two years ago in this, in this game. The less I can think about tweeting that game is the better, I think, because that was that was absolutely miserable. I live in Utah. I get to go to like one game every three years. Of course, that game I was at. Way to go. Oh, no. Uh, an aside before we continue going through the schedule, I was I was live tweeting that game and also the Braves were playing that night in the NLCS. It was the 20 season. It was the NLCS. Uh, so not only was it just an awful, awful football game and to the point where there was some arrival or, or other SB Nation blogs asking me what I was drinking <laughs> to get through it. 
Um, there was uh, I had to watch the Braves blow a three-one lead later that, that, that night. So. Oh God, I forgot. That I think it that. was I think it was Game Five, so like game it, it was in progress. But like, okay. you could see the writing on the wall on that one. Let's talk about another, the next game, which also kind of has writing on the wall on it. Uh, it's Western Carolina. Most people would say this is a uh, this is a pretty linchpin easy win, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I, you know, my number on this is 95%. I, I uh, don't really want to be as precise with that because I don't run the numbers the same way for FCS team. So let's just say that you better win and you better win comfortably. Speaking of interesting scenarios for wins, Ole Miss 22%. Tell me a little bit about that. So, you know, the, the quarterback is gone, but they bring in this guy, Jackson Dart. Um, you know, he was at, USC last year and he's a he's a five-star kid who's actually from about 20 miles from where I live uh he's he's from Utah everybody thought he was going to go to BYU uh USC kind of comes in later on in the recruitment process he's he's good man and you uh you pair Kiffin with a legit quarterback and their offense is going to be really good which is not necessarily what uh we want to see uh I think Tech can score on, on Ole Miss uh you know, with, with some uh, ability, but I, I don't see us holding them under 38, something like that. I just personally am excited to see it being at, at Bobby Dodd. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, it, it, it's, we get, you know, the, the Clemson's, the UGA's, the, the usual suspects in, in Bobby Dodd a lot. And, you know, it, it kind of brings the, brings to mind playing Vanderbilt uh, a couple of years back um, at, at Bobby Dodd, but you know, something like Tennessee would be, would have been really cool in that setting. Uh, then again, that was before the mayhem at Mercedes Benz. But uh, I think uh, the old Miss just being different is something that we don't get to see a lot. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, the numbers may say we only have like uh, a fourth to a fifth, uh, of a shot of winning the game, but I, I mean, just from variety's sake, with only twelve games in college football, I don't think we see nearly enough variety either. So this will at least, and it'll be early enough in the season uh, that I think that I'll still be, you know, quite excited. So uh, just, it, just in general, I am looking, all in on the vibe that you just described. I think it's a super fun game to play. I'm glad we're doing it. I just wish we were better, and it was more of a fifty-fifty shot. Yeah, no, I appreciate that they're not doing this in Mercedes because this very well could have been the appealing one. So, like, oh, yeah, let's throw the bigger – Let's, I mean, Clemson's Clemson, but, like, hey, let's throw some variety in there. But it's like, okay, no, let's leave the fun one for the actual home crowd where we have more control there. Yeah, uh, let's move on to a different – or a fun home crowd in a different way at UCF. You got 12% on this one, Robert. Yeah, I think the next two are probably where, uh, you know, your kind of average fan would would maybe disagree the most with what my numbers are saying. 12% for UCF, 11% for Pitt. They're both on the road. Uh, the bounce house is actually a pretty tough place to play, even if it's kind of funny looking sometimes. Uh, you know, Malzahn has Plumlee slated to start at quarterback. You're going to see that Mick Marshall kind of offense. They're going to move quickly. The quarterback's going to run the ball a lot. There's going to be misdirection. There's going to be power plays with, you know, the quarterback following. And I think we're going to have a really hard time stopping them too. That's going to become a bit of a broken record as we keep going here. 
It's also really weird that they're sending us to, well, the schedule sends us to Orlando and then immediately after Pittsburgh. Uh, you cannot game. get worse in terms of travel distance, <laughs> distance there. For the third straight game, too, you get to face a, a transfer quarterback who's super talented, another USC kid, Keaton Slovis. Uh, the the combination that you're going to see there is a kid named Kanata Mumpfield is a, a, a receiver transfer from Akron. I thought he was going to come to Tech with Zach Gibson. He went to the more stable passing outfit uh, up there in the Rust Belt. They're going to be really good. They're going to throw the ball really well. Their defense is really, really good. Uh, Kalaja Kansi, Habakkuk Baldonado. Um, th- gosh, if we can block them, I'll be amazed. I don't feel good about that one at all. Let's move on to homecoming the second week of October versus Duke. Uh, Bindex has this one at 70%. Yeah, baby. Let's go. Uh, the fight and Elkos are going to stink. You'll hear more about that in my sickos pick. I think they're going to be really bad. <laughs> we should win by three touchdowns. Uh, let's. Uh, Duke isn't a, you know, they, they've surprised us in the past. The 2014 Duke game always comes to mind for me. That one was a, that one was a stinker. Let's move on to UVA. That's a Thursday nighter, the peak ACC window. You have that one at 38%. Subjectively, I think that's low. Um, I'm actually going to be at this game, so let's go for 51%. The, the, it, you know, if you remember the game last year, uh, we jumped out to a, an early lead, and then Brennan Armstrong did absolutely whatever he wanted. They had 600-some-odd yards. You know, it was – 0.75 EPA per pass, just one of those really bad defensive games. And then Sims, you know, mounted this kind of crazy late comeback. We get two onsides kicks, uh, end up losing by a score. They uh, they bring back everything at quarterback and receiver. They don't bring back as much uh, up front. Uh, in fact, I think all five offensive line starters are gone. So, I, you know, you'll see their offense probably in the neighborhood to a little bit worse than what you saw last year. Their defense still isn't going to be good. Uh, it's got to be a track meet kind of game. It's probably 45-42 if you're going to win, but it should be a fun one. Uh, let's move on to Florida State. Uh, Florida State, seen them a couple of times in the last couple of years. Uh, this one, the Bindex has at 16% win probability. Yeah, again, that, that feels a little low to me, but I, I do think Norvell is, is kind of slowly, quietly building something over there. I mean, they, they played Duquesne on Saturday, but wow, are they dominant. Uh, our, our friend, uh, on Twitter, CFB numbers, he's a big, he's a big Florida state guy. And, uh, he put together some stuff. So this was Florida state's best rushing performance in like 12 years. Uh, they were just absolutely dominant. I think Alex Atkins has ironed out some of those offensive line issues. Not coincidentally, Alex Atkins is on my list of coaches to watch this season. More about that later. Jordan Travis is, uh, the kind of fully unleashed quarterback runner that I hope we can make Jeff Sims this year. So call it a broken record, but we're going to have a hard time stopping them. Speaking of hard time stopping uh, and especially stopping, you know, recently hired coaches and their offenses and defenses, uh, Virginia tech is up next. Bindex has this one at 25%. I think, Virginia Tech has just an enormous standard deviation this year. I have no idea what to do. Yeah. A lot of transfer activity. I, I mean, what's the, what are the vibes? Like, what, what do we think is going on in Blacksburg? See, that's where I try and pick up. Um, I, I try and fill the gaps in, in terms of 
but in terms of listening to Joey and Mike over on basketball conference, just cause you know, they bring in an expert for each team. Uh, I know we say no free ads, but I think we can give our, our friends free ads. Um, but, uh, in terms of just like the confidence I got from listening to that podcast did not match my impression uh, of really anything I've seen from the program since I guess 20, like 16, the last year, Virginia tech was like, good, good. I mean, I get it. Maybe there's some like recruiting transfer pickups, but I, I don't know. It Brent pride doesn't have a, I mean, yeah, he's, he was a coordinator at Penn state and did a fine job, but like, I, it, I just don't think it's as turnkey as a lot of people seem to think it is. And I'm not really sure where people got that impression. I, I know I, we just went past the Florida state, but I haven't been super high on Florida state either. Again, I'm more of a vibes and listening guy. And it, it, it seems like their fan base is expecting, you know, six, seven, eight, even nine are here sometimes wins and, that just doesn't seem to be, you know, reflective of Florida State's five wins last year or Virginia Tech's very okay year that they had. Like, like it wasn't, it, it wasn't like the cupboards fully stocked. And if anything, I've heard that Virginia Tech, at least when Pry took the job, uh, slash accounting for people leaving, was a situation, you know, even more bereft of some of those big names than someone like Tech, and, and we were pretty notable for losing. Uh, losing established players year over year. Obviously, the Gibbs thing is is the frontliner, but you know we talked Dominic. He was a really important player too, and that's just you know uh, just a handful. And, and a lot of those players did go to other Power Five schools. So if you're saying in, in one breath that Virginia Tech is you know more bare than Georgia Tech, but also that there's this expectation that they have you know triple the odd. I don't know. It's, it's late at night trip that 75 to 25 uh, in their favor for, for winning. That just doesn't really make any sense at all to me. And the fact that numbers are rating them at, you know, relatively similar rates to, we'll get to Miami in a second, but like an old miss who, you know, was a, a sugar bowl team last year. Like, I just don't think that makes any sense in my head. I, I know that there's not really a conclusion there either, but like, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's move on to – actually, let's do Miami and North Carolina at a bushel, shall we? Miami's at 23% at North Carolina at 12%. Miami – Miami's a weird one. Miami is going through a little bit of like a studs-up rebuild with NIL and Mario Cristobal and program alignment, quote-unquote, unquote. And then UNC is just like there. I have no idea what to think of UNC and also this 12% number. Can you fill in the gaps on these two teams for us, Robert? Start with quarterbacks, Tyler Van Dyke, Drake May. They're both really good from what I've watched, read, seen, heard. Uh, They're going to throw the ball all over the yard. With Miami, your defensive line is entirely made up of transfers. uh, So it's a huge gamble. Uh, really don't know what you're going to get there. Receiving core kind of same way with UNC. It's like four and five star freshmen and sophomores. So you probably feel a little bit more confident, but you also haven't seen the production. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the coastal's the coastal, man. I mean, these teams are yeah. huge, huge in their variance. Yeah. And so, yep. the, you know, this is where like, okay, if, if tech does have a two standard deviations above what we expect kind of outcome, like these become winnable games, but 
you can't ignore the baseline for what we should expect for tech because these other teams aren't world beaters, but, but, but the last three years. I, I yeah. mean, the, the UNC being a, a point one two might shock me even, even more than the Virginia tech one. Cause I, I I'm under the impression that that's a pretty, you know, not, not winnable, like not, there's not a lot of games on the, the schedule that are purely winnable, right? Like, I think we can all acknowledge that. But, like, I, I know that Akshay and I both watched that UNC game last year with our own eyes, and I don't know what fundamental changes Mac Brown going from Bateman to Chiswick is going to do to stop. You know, it, they couldn't stop a, a pad note offense, and and you're you're expecting that to maybe get better with Long? Like, it, I want to say the bigger problem there was the was the offensive line more than anything else. I don't that I think is, that, that is fair, but it, the defense mm. in that game was able to get a lot of push. And, and on, Howell, you know, Howell fumbled three times, like six inches from the ground. If those are blown, yeah. bad, you're looking at a really different outcome. That is fair. Ugh. I just want to get a second memorable game of the Jeff Collins era, right? Like we got the one. Well, let's talk about week 12. That's going to be memorable because 2% Uh, is higher than I would give it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about that. We're, we're going to move on. We're, we're absolutely going to move on. We're, we're not talking about that one. Let's move on. Let's talk about the ACC. Let's talk about the tasting menu for this week. I, what I want to do here is I have the entire slate of ACC and ACC affiliated teams that are playing football this weekend i want to go through these blind rapid fire one by one and hear what y'all have to say so let's get started with the backyard brawl coming back at 7 p.m on espn on thursday september 1st jake who do you have in this one i got pit jack blind rapid fire pit robert round it out pit baby uh, I God, I really want to be a contrarian, but yeah, Pitt, Pitt is going to take this one. Oh, Next shit. one, a contrarian? I never. I this never. is rapid fire, Jake Grant. VMI at Wake. Robert, you're up first. Wake in this one, but I'm real worried until Hartman comes back. Jack. Yeah, same. That yeah, I, I want to see Wake be good. So please win. Wait, and you're Jake. worried about VMI? Give me Wake all day, all day. It's Power Five team. No Hartman, no Hartman there. That's a 7.30 kick on ACC Network, our beloved ACC Network. Let's move on to Friday. Virginia Tech plays Old Dominion. That's a 6 p.m. kick on ESPNU. Robert, you're up first. If Jake's right, ODU, but I think Vippy Sue wins it close. Jake, what you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Jake being right. Jack. Uh, Virginia Tech, please. Uh, I'm going to take ODU because I think it's very funny whenever Virginia Tech loses to ODU, which is like their version of the Duke phenomenon with their fan base. Uh, and our speaking of Duke, Temple at Duke, 730, ACC Network. Jake, you're up first. Uh, I'm going to take Duke, even though I'm, uh, I, um, I think Duke's going to be like super bad. Uh, Rapid fire. Give me Duke. Give me Duke. Robert. an ACC homer. I think Duke's year negative two here and Temple's year zero. Give me Temple. And Jack. Yeah, I like Temple too. Duke is, Duke's not a football school. Come on. 
Duke also replacing Coach K this year, which woo-hoo, talk about <laughs> talk about narrative central there. You can't Duke football can't hide anymore. Uh, let's talk Saturday. Let's move on to Saturday. North Carolina State at ECU starts at noon on ESPN. Robert, you're up first. NC State closer than the experts think. Jake. Uh, I'm going to go NC State. And Jack. I'll make this one of the upsets. Give me the Pirates. Give me the Pirates. We talked about UNC earlier. They are headed to Boone to play App State also at noon, but on ESPNU. I'm going to go first here. App is going to win this one by 10. There's no way UNC wins this one. Robert, you're up first. I am all in with you on that. I think they are going to be way too much up front. App State. Jack. Yes, same. I, I, if App State doesn't win this, the universe doesn't make sense. Jake, you're last. Uh, yeah, give me App. Oh, boy. We can't go. Uh, oh, boy. Someone's going to meme us on the internet for that one. Let's move over to the Northeast. Rutgers visits BC in a Big East battle. That's not really at all the Big East anymore. That's also a nooner on ACC Network. Robert, you're up first. BC because they have Dracovic and Rutgers does not have a quarterback. Jake. Uh, give me BC. And Jack. Yep, Dracovic's good. Rutgers not. Uh, let's move down the eastern seaboard to Charlottesville. Richmond takes on Virginia. That is a 12-30 kick on probably the RSN. Ugh, don't even want to think about the RSN. Jack, you're up first. Uh, despite my uncle going to Richmond, I'm picking Virginia. Robert? Yeah, Armstrong's way too much. UVA big. And Jake? UVA. Damn it, it's way too easy to pick these games in week one. Bethune-Cookman at Miami is the 3.30 on ACC Network. Robert, you're up first for this one. Oh, body bag. Oh. <laughs> Van Dyke plays a quarter and a half. I feel bad for asking about this game personally, but Jack. <laughs> Give me the Coral Gables football club, sir. Woof. Uh, Jake, you're last. I assume I know what your answer is. Do you, baby. Yikes. Uh, and our one ACC-affiliated game for now, uh, Notre Dame and Ohio State. This should actually generate some discussion. This is a 7.30 kick on ABC. Jake, uh, as our Midwestern correspondent, you're up first. Ah, the rapid fire, rapid fire. I'm going to take Ohio State. There we go. Robert, you're up next. I'm super high on Ohio State this year. My numbers are higher than I'd like on Notre Dame. So Ohio State wins, Notre Dame covers. And Jack. I saw a thing today that Notre Dame's basically only lost to playoff teams in the last four years or so. Like they have their seven losses if it's not a playoff team, which includes Cincinnati as a playoff team. They basically went out. Ohio State's very much a playoff team, so I think I think this is still going to be Ohio State just purely because it's in the shoe. Uh, your Sicko's ACC candidate of the week is Louisville at Cuse. That's the 8 p.m. on ACC Network. Jake, you're up first. Rapid fire. Give me the cards. Robert. Week one anxiety bowl. Malik Cunningham's way better than anybody Syracuse has. Louisville. I have no idea who Cuse's quarterback is to begin with. <laughs> so Jack finishes off. 
Yeah, that, yeah. I, I, why pick the cues for anything that's not hockey? Do they have hockey? Is that what I should pick them they for? They do not have hockey. To they my a women's hockey. They, hey, Title nine, hey. baby. I'm assuming that Jake is, with that, Jake is taking the Cardinals, your final ACC-affiliated game of the I, weekend. I, I already said I was taking the Cardinals. So I, I meant Jack. Sorry. Your, uh, uh, your yes, yes. names are way too similar. We're moving on. Uh, FSU versus LSU in NOLA at 7.30 on ABC on Sunday. Jake, you're up first. Mm. Rapid fire. Florida State. Robert. LSU. Oh, that, that's a spicy one. That's a spicy one, Jack. Under the lights in Death Valley week one. I Not in Death Valley. It's in the in Nola. Yeah, yeah, I'm still Super dumb. That's right. Okay, never mind. Mm. Yeah, still LSU. Still LSU. Uh, I'm unfortunately told by my producer that we have to pick the Monday game, Clemson versus Georgia Tech. Uh, I am going to continue refraining from picking these games. Uh, Jack is up first. It's rapid fire, I know, but I think I, I do want to at least set some a modicum of a stage here. That rapid fire. If, if we do win, many things change, and I don't want that loss on everybody listening. That there is still a crap ton of upside. We almost we could we had the chance to change college football with our last two games last year. We didn't score a point, but we got a shot to change some things here this week. Still, give me the Tigers. Womp womp. Uh, Jake. I hate picking against Tech, even when I know the odds are bad. You can pick Never a tell cover. me the odds. You um, can pick a cover. I just don't know what the spread is. Yeah, Tech to cover, whatever the spread is. Okay. Uh, Robert, you're last. If Tech wins, I will fly to Atlanta next Monday night and meet the team at the stadium. I don't know if I'm going to I'm going to hold uh, you to that. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> Let's do it. That, you know, Robert, that's pretty sicko. Uh, you know what else is pretty sicko? Our sicko picks of the week. These are other games from around the universe that we have chosen as very, very, shall we say, interesting uh, moments during the weekend. Jake, you're up first. What you got for me? Yeah. Uh, so my sicko pick of the week is Illinois at Indiana. Uh, and uh, Indiana's favored by five and a half. Uh that was the consensus starting point. It's moved certain ways since uh, Illinois' uh, safe thwomping uh, of Wyoming. Uh, I do have two Indiana grads slash students in my family, but I'm still going to pick Illinois. And that is because, you know, neither of these programs are historic. Well, Illinois has a couple national championships, but like, you know, not very good. Uh, not anything you'll see on the national stage, but it matters to some people, so this week it's going to matter to me. I'm taking Illinois. Jack, you are up next. Minnesota and New Mexico State has a 36.5-point spread in Minnesota's favor, which seems reasonable enough for week one randomness to get New Mexico State within that point total. So just, just sheer good betting luck. I think there's that. Also, I saw the Saints are plus one twenty-five to make the playoffs. There's three wild card spots now. That, that's a good bet. That's just a good bet. Three wild card spots in the NFL is just wrong. Speaking of other things that are wrong, Robert and in MLB out. too. It's also wrong there. Sorry, I had to get that in. No, just for tr- just to be anti-baseball traditionalist, three wild card spots in baseball are good. Actually, uh, Robert. Speaking of weird things, Duke is favored by seven. Versus Temple. Explain, please. I can't. 
Duke should not be favored by seven over anyone except for Hawaii, I think, after this past weekend. Uh, yeah, give me Temple. Rough start to the Elko era. Duke could be like one and 11-ish. It, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, I pulled up Odd Shark just to check if that spread was actually accurate because I feel like uh, Jake put it in there as a bit. Uh, no, it is entirely accurate. The spread consensus is Duke by seven. Uh, however, I will note that the predicted score is uh, <laughs> Temple 20.6 to Duke 16.8. So uh, the, the market <laughs> the market knows something that uh, – or, or the models know something that the market doesn't. Uh, I did not pick a college football game. Uh, I picked an MLS game instead between two very, very bad programs, DC United and Colorado Rapids. I think the Rapids are third for bottom uh, in the Western Conference. And DC United, well, they're probably going to be dead last in the league. Give me the Rapids plus 188. Uh, they might score that many goals. DC United, very, very bad. That was rapid fire. That was sicko pick of the week. That was our football preview podcast. Does anyone, anyone, anyone have anything else before we log off for the night? I'm down on this year, but I still love tech. Go to the games, buy tickets, buy a Section 103 t-shirt, support them, give it everything you got. Let's have some fun. Robert, you want to plug yourself too while you're here? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Uh, it's going to be a fun football season. I'll be uh, writing – uh, on FTRS, like normal advanced stats, reviews, previews, we'll have Binion Index numbers every Tuesday. I'm also going to be writing for Football Outsiders this year. So I'll have a Monday column that reviews the five or six or so biggest games from the previous weekend. Really excited about that opportunity. Excited to get to kind of broaden my look at college football a little bit. So read me on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, whatever other day. We'll be around. All right. I think. That about does it for us today. Mr. Grant, do you want to take us home? Yeah. Uh, since Akshay will never plug anything that he does uh, himself openly, uh, I am going to plug Game on Paper for him. Gameonpaper.com. Uh, it is uh, a great place to find advanced stats as well. Uh, so, yeah, take that. People know about your projects. Good job. Um, you can find us online uh, from the rumble uh, You can email us uh, from the rumble seat at gmail.com. Uh, we read every email that comes in. Uh, they have great topic suggestions, uh, comments, uh, questions for the mailbag, whatever it is, we'll make sure it gets to the right place uh, and definitely want to hear from you guys as well. As we move into football, volleyball, and, and other seasons, as those come up, uh, we will be uh, trudging along. So, you know, maybe it'll be something that uh, gets left for January or, you know, some sometime next summer, but we do want to hear your thoughts there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter as well at FTRS blog. Uh, go give us uh, a like, a retweet, uh, a follow. Uh, that does help us out. Just like subscribing to this here fine podcast. Uh, tell your friends, uh, tell your family, uh, listen on your significant others, phones, whatever it is uh, that you uh, got to do. Uh, it always helps us out. Uh, again, you can comment uh, online. Uh, you can, I think we have our DMs open. I don't know. Um, you can find us wherever, but uh, we definitely want to hear from you guys. Uh, so we keep providing everything that you guys might want. Uh, you can find myself uh, at jakegrant98 on Twitter and Jack at Jack Nicholas. Uh, for Robert, Jack, and Akshay, this has been Signs of the Southland. Thank you. Go Jackets. <laughs> <laughs>